This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. Alright, okay, so we're continuing this series. Um, I hope you've been blessed so far. And I hope you've been paying attention. I hope you've been paying attention. It's very important. All right? John chapter 6. Let's go back to um, what we anchored from. John chapter 6, verse 29. Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. Praise God. The work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. There is the feeling or there's the assumption that faith by grace, just believing God for stuff, just having assurance in God is not enough work for you to receive all the value that is working with God and all the things that we see by working with God. And this is the fundamental grievance with legalism. This is the fundamental instinct that most human beings have such that even after understanding faith by grace, by faith, they still find themselves somehow going through the back door into legalism. Do you understand that? It is that strong human instinct and sentiment to work for something that is valuable. It is that strong instinct to work for something that is valuable. If something is valuable, it means they have, you have to work for it. Right? So there's that strong instinct to always find yourself going back to legalism. And that is the reason why um, there's actually a way that the faith, faith has been taught that is actually just Pentecostal legalism, so to speak. Church all together. Do you understand what I just said? Mm-hmm. There's a way that faith has been taught that is basically just Pentecostal legalism. For example, a person's father dies and people show up to console and the person says, you could not bring him back because you did not pray hard enough. Your faith was not strong enough. Have you heard this? It your faith was not strong enough. <laughs> Listen to that statement. You could not bring your father back because your faith was not strong enough. So, from that, you can already tell that the person sees faith as a kind of legalism. You do stuff to get stuff. So. And this is the reason why there's another kind of self-condemnation that comes from that kind of teaching of faith. When people are not saying some things in their lives and they are blaming themselves and saying, maybe my faith was not strong enough. I've not been confessing well enough. I've not been, my confession has not been consistent enough. I have not been, you know, my faith is not strong enough. You know, when someone says that, they are back to legalism. It's the same thing as when someone says something bad in their life and they say, I did not sacrifice enough. It's the same thing. The instinct of legalism is very strong. And so that's why this teaching of faith is actually supposed to be um, profitable for you in the broader sense of faith, our common faith as believers, and also in the, you know, in the particular form of faith, which is in terms of our work with God, church all together. This is going to take, it's going to take a couple of Sundays. So I wanted to take your time, and I'm, I'm, I promise you, what I've done is that I've not, I'm not compressing too much in one message. I'm going to take it... Step by step, right? Church all together. Are you with me? So, you have to understand faith properly, coherently, 
in a way that is coherent with Scripture and corroborated by what we see in our work with God. Church out together. Mm. So let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11. So faith is actually work. Faith is actually work. So you can, you can rest in your impulse for legalism. You can rest in your impulse to want to do something to get something. Faith is actually work. And if you do it right, you will realize that it is work. So you don't need to go through the back door and be finding other ways of self-righteousness and personal efforts to try to get things done in your work with God. That's what I've just said now. You can rest. You can enter your Sabbath. You can rest. You can rest knowing that faith is all the work you have to do. You don't need to find another way to bring your own self-righteousness and your own self-works into the equation. You can rest. That instinct that's inside of you that's making you feel like as if faith is nothing, like faith is no work. You can rest now knowing that faith is the work you need to do. And so that's why in the Old Testament, the Bible tells us that on Sabbath, that even doing the Sabbath itself was, was a kind of work. Because it's not easy that you will pick a whole day when you will not try to make money, when you will not try to do things. You will see a business opportunity and you will sit down and not do it. That is work. Jared just said no. That's why it was something that, had, that could be disobeyed. <laughs> Do you understand that? That's why it was something that people will find difficult enough that they want to disobey it. Because the essence of Sabbath was to make people realize that there are some things that you cannot control. And then you have to rest in what the Lord is able to do. Only, you have to rest in that which only the Lord can do. Doing that is work. If you think it's, it's easy, it's not work, do it. Rest. Try and rest in the Lord. Try and trust God and not try to look for consolation in your self-efforts. Try it. To trust God for something and not look for that consolation that comes from putting your own effort in something and see how easy it is. That's when you will know that it is work for your flesh. Praise God. So it is rest for your spirit and work for your flesh. <laughs> Do you understand that? But legalism is work for your flesh. No, sorry. Legalism is work for your spirit, but rest for your flesh. Because your flesh likes it. Your flesh wants to be in control. Your flesh wants the, your flesh wants the pride of knowing that you are the one that did something. Your friends, your, your, your flesh wants that peace of mind that, that comes from thinking that you can control the outcome of things. So that's why legalism is actually work for your spirit and rest for your flesh. It's the other way around. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? You understand the analogy I'm using, right? Praise God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We already know what we do not see is. We already know what we hope for. It is the will of God. It is what God has what? Promised. There are things that God has promised that we do not yet physically see. There are some things that God has promised that we still have to wait for them to become physically apparent to us. Faith is being able to 
be assured and be, be confident that those things are and those things will come to pass. Church, all together. Faith is to believe in God and therefore to believe in what he, his will is. Because you believe in God, you believe in what his will also is. That's what faith is. Because you believe in God, you also believe in what his will is. Hallelujah. So, you know, there are different ways to say it. Faith is also agreeing with God on his own terms. Faith is agreeing with God on his own terms. Faith is to align with the will of God. We are saying the same thing in different ways. Faith is to agree with God on his own terms. Faith is to align with God. Faith is about getting your own heart's desires in as much as those desires are the will of God. Did you get that? Faith is about getting your own heart's desires in as much as those desires are actually the will of God. Faith is getting your own heart's desires in as much as those heart desires are the will of God. That is another way that you know, we tend to see faith as a people. We tend to begin to think, we can slip into that feeling of thinking that faith is about getting what you want. And I've heard all kinds of stuff. I've heard all kinds of stuff. I've heard all kinds of stuff. I've heard people say that when Apostle John says that this is the confidence that we have in him, that whenever we pray according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we have. I've heard people say, that, you know, what John is saying there is that, um, you know, it is the will of God to hear us. No. There is no translation that says that. There is no way to look at the translation from the Greek to the English that says that. There is no way. That's not what he's saying. There is no, you know, you no, know, that's not what he's saying. He says, when we pray according to his will, he hears us. He's not saying when we pray, it is according to his will to hear us. So it is his will that God hears us. So we can pray for whatever we want. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Therefore, I have the spirit of God. And therefore, I can say what I want and then God will do it. Ha. <laughs> no. 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 Just I get what I'm saying to you. Mark chapter 11, verse 24. If you can just believe in your heart, this mother say, if you can just believe in your heart, whatever you desire, if you can believe in your heart, you know, and pray, you will have what you say. Mm-mm. It was in the context of something. He's talking about a mountain that God wants to move. No matter how big that mountain looks to you, if you desire to move and God desires to move, the example that Jesus was using was an example of what God was always going to do, was the will of God. Church, all together. You, it, it's important that you let that thing sink in. Jesus did not just willy-nilly just wake up and decide that this tree, I don't like your face, I'm cursing you because I can. Jesus was not flexing his power and, you know, and killing that tree because he can Jesus didn't just wake up and just say, I have desires this morning. My desire is that this tree, it vex me. I'm going to deal with you. So therefore, no man shall eat from you again. That's not what happened. That's why you don't need to have, so you don't, have to, you don't need to build 
or unnecessary theodicy from it. That's yeah, Jesus does not kill. But how did he not kill that tree? No, actually, that mm -mm, calm down. Jesus was just doing what God has been saying from the beginning. Any tree that does not bear fruit will do what? That's what he was doing. So that means that if Jesus saw any other tree again that did not bear fruit, what will he do? He will do it again. Any tree that does not bear fruit should not be. There's no time for trees that are not bearing fruits. Do you understand to you? Church, do you understand that? That's what he was doing. And so, Jesus used such supernatural power to bring about the will of God. And the disciples were like, man, how are you able to do this? How are you able to just talk to something and the thing will just answer you? So their question was a comment on the manifestation of the power, not the, manifest, not the will of God behind it. Do you understand that? Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Their question and what Jesus was teaching was a comment on the power that was manifested. It was not an explanation that you can just like whatever you want to happen and it will happen. You can, you can try and confess that my wife will become your wife. Try. <laughs> try. Let's see. Let's see the power. You can't. Church, all together. And so, the Bible tells us something. Verse 2 now says, this is what the ancients were what? commended for. So I put it like this. There are three things that you always see in a work of faith, right? So you write this down and you, 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 you know, it will help you. There are three things that you always see in a work of faith and these are the things that the ancients were commended for. As we go through all the examples and we, you know, go drill deeper and deeper into working by faith, you will see these three things consistently. There are three things that you see consistently in the work of faith that all these people were commended for. The number one thing is that they know and they trust in God's character and God's capabilities. You will see all of them. They all knew God and they trusted God. So they know God and they trust God, God's character and what God is capable of. All of them, all of them, they demonstrated. You could see. That's why the way the writer of Hebrews would do is that in some places, he will not really focus on exactly what they did. He will just focus on their outcome. Do you understand that? And say they are working by faith. And then he will just jump on it and just say, ah, so this is how to see the demonstration of faith. Listen, there is no result that is a proof of faith. There is no result that is a proof of faith. The only thing in this whole chapter that all the different um, men of faith here had in common was that they were all commended. When it comes to the physical, natural outcome of their work with faith, there were no two that had the same outcome. Do you understand what I just said now? Did you hear what I just said now? There were no two that had the same natural outcome. So you can't just come and say, ah, walking by faith. If you're walking by faith, if you're walking by faith, what it means is that um, you will build an ark and all your enemies will be drowned. That's how to know that you're walking by faith. That's how you are walking by faith. Abraham Munko is not a human being. How were his own enemies dealt with? I get what I'm saying to you. So one thing you see all of them do is that they all know God and they all, they all trusted God. The second thing that they all did was that they all knew God's will and trusted in it. So the, the second thing is that not only, you know you can know God and not know what his will is or not know what the promise is. Are we together? 
Mm, do you understand that? So you can know God and not know God's promise. So, these people knew God. One number two is that they knew the will of God. They knew God's promise. They knew God's promise. They knew the will of God and they knew God's promise. And the third thing that they all had in common is that they now acted in, in cons- they now acted consistently with those two things that they believed. So they acted consistently with their faith, with their belief in God, their trust in God, and their trust in the will of God. So when people do these three things, they will be commended. That is how you see the just will live by faith. These three things, you see it consistently in the just that live by faith. So Abel knew God. That's why he was making a sacrifice. But he didn't stop there. He also knew what God's promise and what God's will was. And that was that a firstborn sheep will be the propitiation for sins. Do you understand? And then he acted. So when he was giving offering for his own sins, he acted coherently with what he knew of God and what he knew of God's will. And God said he was pleased with that sacrifice. Do you understand that? He acted consistently with what he knew of God and what he knew of the word promise. Obviously, Cain will have been taught the same by their parents. Because wherever Abel knew it from, Cain was supposed to have also known it. So, faith is not actually just doing what you like or what is convenient for you. In a sense, both of them brought what they had. But that is not what, ah, there's something that um, Muriwa said on Wednesday that was so powerful. That's why even from the Old Testament, you will find out that the emphasis of sacrifice was actually the obedience. It was not about the materials. That's why you see, for the, for the same sacrifice, God will allow them different alternatives of things to sacrifice. So much so that by the time of the second, second temple period, you could actually just give an offering to, to, to replicate for the thing you're supposed to sacrifice in the temple. It was more about the obedience. It was more about working coherently with what God wants to do. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? So that's why someone will now come and say, obedience is better than what? Sacrifice. You have to know God. You have to know his will. And you have to act coherently with it. Church out together. Let's go on. By, by verse 4 says, you know, let's just go to verse 5. We talked about that. Let me not repeat. I have some very interesting things to say today. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. So, you know, the writer of Hebrews suggests to us that Enoch did not die physically as we, as we see, but, you know, he was taken away physically. Something similar, something similar to what happened to Elijah. Verse 4, before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Let's look at that scripture. Let's look at Enoch briefly. His own scripture is very, very short, actually. <laughs> Praise God. If you judge it from verse 22, and after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch, well, let me start from um, this thing. Verse 21 says, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he, oh, Genesis chapter 5, sorry, Genesis chapter 5, verse 21. Genesis chapter 5, verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with... So do you see that? He walked faithfully with... So you can see what I'm saying about what they're commended for. He knew God and he walked consistently with what he knew of God. 
And so, 300 years, he had other sons and daughters. And altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Church, all together. So he walked faithfully with God. So that's why I'm saying that the writer of Hebrews would just say some things in a compressed format and just talk about some outcomes. But this is what the underlying thread for all of them is. These people will know God. They will know what the will of God is and they will act and live and profess their lives in consistency with what they know and believe. Church all together. And so what was his own outcome? He was taken away physically. Why didn't he take away Abel? They now killed Abel. Church, I get an answer to you. You see why? You know, I have a million dollars. It's because I got into God's word and I looked at it and I say, ah, this is what the word of God says. So I believed it and I confessed and I confessed and I confessed it. And that's how, before I knew it, I had a million dollars in my account. See, wow, wow, me too, me too, a million dollars, I shall confess, I shall, <laughs> praise God, <laughs> praise God, you guys are, you guys are, you guys are making me laugh, hallelujah, no, 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 hallelujah, no. It is not by confession. It is not, ah, I confess, I confess, and I shall receive a million dollars. No. Faith is knowing God, having an awareness of his will, and acting your life in consistency with that. And so that is why, now this is the reason why I was explaining something. I was saying that. That is the reason why the true outcome of faith is commendation by God. Not an identical manifestation in the natural. So that is the reason why, if you think about God's will for us as individuals or what we are doing in the natural as individuals, because we are all not born at the same places, not born at the same time, there will be... So this is something I'm going to talk about next, next week, you know, next week Sunday. There is a level of the will of God that, is, that applies to all of us as our common faith. Something that applies to all human beings in a general sense, right? You know, those common things that all human beings have in common. It is the will of God that all of us have his image, that all of us, you know, steward the earth, that all of us come to knowledge with him and have relationship with him. That is a general sense. It is the will of God that every child of God works with their hands honestly and have more than enough to give to other people. It is the will of God for everybody in a general sense. And then there are some things that are particular to us. It's the will of God that we also preach the gospel, that we reshape people's values and reconcile men back to God. It pertains to everybody. But there is now the individual aspect of it. I'm going to talk about that more next Sunday. Such that there's an individual aspect of it, such that based on your coordinates in space time, based on place we were born and where you are at a particular time, the rich and what Lord will have you do in a place will have details, differences in details, such that it's not different from the general overarching purpose of God, but in terms of how you will go about it, it will be unique to you. Church out together. Church out together. So that's why that the way God will deal with you while you are living in Nigeria in terms of certain details, will not be the way he's dealing with someone in Canada. Church, all together. We'll talk about that next Sunday. So because of that, what you will find is that in terms of the individual expression of the work of faith with God, you will find differences. And that's why no two people can have the same work of faith in terms of manifestation. And so that's why the only way that you can say this is the manifestation, this is the proof, 
This is the result that I have worked by faith. It is God's commendation. It is God saying, you have done well because you have worked according to what my will is. It cannot be according to the amount of money that you have. I'm not going to take away from the testimony of those who, by working by faith, saw some big amount of money. But that is not going to be the story of everybody. He's the same God that gave one talent, two talents, and five, three, five to somebody else. Did you hear what I just said now? Did you hear what I just said now? He's the same God that gave one to one, gave two to another, gave five to another. The one that, that you know, that has five will now come and now say, I believe God and it's in now turns with ten. And the one now that will now be under oppression and be saying that, ah, if I don't have ten talents, it means that there's something wrong with you, with me. No, that's not what it means. Church out together. And so that's why verse 6 now says, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 now says, and without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is the only way that a man will not be at odds with God. First of all, you have to believe and exist that he exists. That means you must be aware of who he is. You must be aware of what he's capable of. You must be aware of his person. Church out together. And then, you are seeking him in accordance. And as you are seeking him, he's rewarding you. This is the only way that a man will not be at odds with God. That's why faith is agreeing with God on his own terms. Faith is living your life consistently and coherently with what we have learned of God. If you are going to live your life and act in a different way, you are going to be at odds with God. That's why it is only by walking by faith that you can be coherent or that you can please God. Because that is the only way that you and God can be on the same page. Did you hear what I just said now? That's why faith cannot be about this is what I want. That is why there is no way to look at it as much as you know you might want as much as you might want what is good as much as you might you know you want it other ways there is only one way to please god and that's why faith that saves must be in his son jesus because salvation must be on his terms not your own do you know what I just said now? Salvation must be on his terms, not your own. He has made a way. He has made the way. He came in the flesh and made the way. So no matter how well you mean, you cannot choose your own way to please God. Is God that gives you the way. And when you come to him, he will reward you with the way that you can please him. Church out together. He will reward you with the way that you can please him. So that's why it is only by faith that you can please God. So the same way in your personal life, you cannot just say, I'm confessing for things, anything I like. Because I'm walking by faith. It's the same way you cannot just come and say, I'm getting salvation by any means I like. Do you know what I just said now? Put it all together. 
So I said these three things that we see in the lives of these people are consistent with all of them, and this is what they were all commended for. And this is how we see that these people walked by faith, isn't it? Now, there's a question here. Where does the faith come from? We've said faith is believing in God, right? Believing, knowing his will and believing it, and then acting consistently and coherently with that, with that belief system. So we say that person is walking by faith. But that knowledge, that awareness, where does it come from? Where does it come from? That's why you guys, you know, let me just say, I'll, I'll probably say this thing one million times in this series, is that this, that's why this thing upsets me so much. The suggestion that the Christian faith, it, wait, you know, I don't really even blame the world actually so much because there's a way that the information has been put out because many of these people outside of the faith, many of the enemies of the gospel, many of them are actually seeing what they've heard. Many of them are reacting to what they were taught. Many of them are reacting to what they see. Church out together. So you can't actually blame them. So when we put out information that our faith is an illogical thing, is an irrational thing, you are saying we walk by faith and not by sight. And you are not saying what Paul actually means. What he was talking about was in terms of the physical versus the immaterial. Do you understand that? There are some things that we do not see physically, but they exist. Just like you can't see Wi-Fi, but you know it's there, isn't it? Are you being irrational to believe in Wi-Fi? That's not for was saying that you walk by faith and not by sight. So therefore, um, you just be believing things that you cannot see. Guys will quote Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, like I said last week, the, verse 1 and 2, and they say, faith is the substance of things for the evidence of things not seen. And they will be teaching the world and explaining to the world and putting information out to the world that suggests to the world that faith means to be assured of something that does not make sense. No. Just go to the previous verse. It tells us what to be assured of. What God has promised. What God has given us evidence for. So where does that evidence come from? How do we see the evidence? How do we know what the will of God is? How do we even know of God? Church out together. That's why the theme of today's service is what it is. The evidence for faith. So I've been talking since about the fact that, see, you need to know God. You need to know his will. And then you need to act coherently with it. But where do you get that information from? Where does the Christian faith get that information from by which it now lives out its life? By which the, the just shall now live out its faith, it's his faith or her faith, praise God. You know, we're, we're all human beings, amen. So if I say him, just take it like that, hallelujah. Praise God. Where does that information come from? So that's what I want to talk about this morning. So you see all these men of faith. Abel did the same thing. Enoch did the same thing. And we'll go on and on and on and on and see. And then, you know, I want to lay this foundation before continuing the series. Where does that information go from? Come from? I'm going to say three things. Three levels of the evidence. Three levels of the sources of this information that you will see that will help you to know God. And I, don't forget that these three things I'm going to say will be in terms of the general sense of our common faith and also in the particular sense of our individual faith. Do you understand that? Do you understand what I just said now? These three things apply to the general sense of our common faith and the individual sense of our work with God. So these three levels of, info, of, these three levels of evidence, these three levels of resources of information apply to those two levels of the will of God. Praise God. So the first level is general revelation. General revelation, and that is from sights and sounds that we see in the world. Hallelujah. It's called general revelation. It's from sights and sounds that we see in the world. The sights and sounds of the world. These are things that God has given to all men in common. 
These are things that God has revealed to all of humanity in common. These are things that, you know, everybody can see it. They might not interpret it into the same way, but these sights and sounds come from the physical world that they are made available. Church, out together. I call it general revelation. General revelation. Let's start from Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Let's start from verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Hallelujah. So the truth is available, but by the reason of their corrupt volition, by reason of the wickedness of their hearts, they will rather suppress that truth. Where is that truth from? Verse 19. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. So, there is a truth that God has made plain to everybody, but by reason of a corrupt volition and wickedness of the heart, people will rather interpret the evidence to mean something else, deliberately. It's not a problem with the evidence, it's the problem with the heart. Church, out together. It's not a problem with the evidence, it's the problem with the heart. Just like a person who has had bad relationship experiences before. When the person now enters a new relationship, and maybe in the, in the previous relationship, the person that they were dating was always calling them and texting them every morning and saying, I love you. And when the person now started cheating on them, the person was now saying, I love you more. They now later found out and they broke up. You're not dating someone and the person that truly loves you, the person now truly loves you and is telling you I love you and is texting you every morning. But the person is giving evidence for his love, but because of your past experience, your mind has been damaged. You will now interpret that love as, ah, old fair cheats. Just like that last one did. It laid to fair cheats. So it is not the evidence that is the problem. It's the heart of the person. Church, all together. Verse, let's go on. God has made it plain. Verse 20 now says, For since the creation of the, of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without what? Excuse. And so that's why when we speak from anthropology, the natural state of man, before baggage of materialism and other things in the world, the natural state of man, which is common to every man, is that a man receives consciousness and he wakes up and he looks into the world, and he himself tries to participate in doing things, and trying to make things, and he sees the efforts that he has to put into making things happen. He sees that whenever something has purpose, and meaning, and direction, he knows that it takes effort, it takes agency for it to happen. And then he looks into the world around him, and he sees the larger universe that seems to have purpose and meaning, and his natural interpretation is that God must exist. Do you understand that? So that's why universally, every culture and every human being, you drop a human being, you drop a baby instantly, even studies on it, you leave a child. Their first instinct is to believe that a God must exist. Church out together. So it takes a damage to the heart or a desire to rebel against the possibility of a God existing for you to look at the evidence and interpret it in another way. Do you understand that? It takes a damaged heart. Those are things that the Holy Spirit will take care of. You've been to a church, 
You know, like you guys saw that post I put up, right? You know, you are deconstructing. Where did the construction from? A pastor abused someone. A pastor was a charlatan and stole people's money. A pastor was claiming you're a pastor's child. You're hearing your father say something on the altar, and at home he was not what? Doing something else. And this is the person that represents God to you. It damages your heart. So when someone comes and prevents any other evidence about God, you will interpret it based on that baggage. Church out together. You know, or a person has looked at this thing and said, ah, I want flex. I want to flex. I don't like this idea of somebody is telling me what to do. I don't like it. You know, like, you know, one of the um, popular um, atheist apologists will say, say the idea of a God that is looking at all of us, like as if we're in North Korea, is repulsive to me. So you see the problem. The idea that a God is controlling our life. You say, well, another one said, that in fact, if the heaven was true, I don't even want the heaven. Because I don't want a heaven where we'll be talking to one God and they can see everything in your mind and everything that's inside of you will be seen. I don't want that kind of God. I'd rather go to another place. Right? That's why you see a lot of young people are in college, they are forming it, there's no God, there's no God. And then they leave school and their eye clear and they give it to the children and their, their bodies start coming down. Because when they went to school, they wanted to do shit, you know? first girl telling me, ah, you cannot do runs, you cannot do this. Look at all those fellowship pastors. No, because they runs get is a lie. Church out together. You watch National Geographic and you see things that happen. You say, ah, this thing is, this thing is not, the, 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 too, too many coincidences cannot bring about this thing. There has to be agency behind it. That is a rational way of interpreting the evidence that you see. Church out together. But it's not just general revelation from nature. God actually does other things. Sights and sounds from the earth that is available to human beings and everywhere. Miracles, miracles of all kinds. John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verse 48. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never what? Believe. Jesus actually did. You know, there's nothing that the Jesus and the apostles ever suggested that the human faith is meant to be one irrational thing, that you just believe nonsense. Jesus actually will tell you that I know that you will not believe unless I give you the evidence. Do you understand that? I know you will not actually believe unless I give you what? The evidence. So that's why Jesus came too. And that's why at different points in times, right, you, people see all kinds of miracles and things happening in their lives. All kinds of strange coincidences that when you think about it, the way to interpret it is that something bigger than me is at work. Actually, this is the level that signs and wonders is. When miracles happen and we see all kinds of, you know, things that we don't normally see, we don't regularly see happening around us, right? All those things are meant to provide evidence for us to know that there's something out there that is bigger. There's someone out there that is bigger than us. Church, are we together? That's the idea. It's part of general revelation. The thing about general revelation is that it just gives you a general idea that there is a God. It doesn't tell you some particular things about his behavior. Do you understand that? Like what we read in Romans chapter, that's why all of us human beings from every level and everywhere, our natural instinct was to believe that there was a God, but we all had different ideas about how that God was. 
Some of the things that we had in common was that we all believed maybe at the extent that, okay, this God is very mighty, he's very powerful, common things like that. But we all had different ideas of the kind of creature or the kind of behavior that he had. That's what general revelation does. You can see signs and wonders and not know any other thing except the fact that God is powerful. Do you understand that? So that's why it's called general revelation. Everybody should be able to see it and, you know, within the reasonable limit, should be able to interpret it as evidence that there is a God bigger than us out there. Hallelujah. You know, John chapter 13. There are a couple of other scriptures, but I don't read all of them because of time. John chapter 13, verse 34. It says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is telling us here again, how will people know and believe that you are Christians? You provide the evidence for them. And what is the evidence that you're a Christian? The way you guys love each other. Because God is what? Love. Do you understand that? Do you get that now? So these are general things. You know, we could go on and on. John chapter 14, verse 10 to 23. Let's read that one. Let's read that one in particular. John 14, verse 10. Don't you believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? You don't believe? Okay. The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Believe me when I say that I am the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works. I remember reading NIV. Do you see it? Verse 11. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least... Or at least on the evidence of the works themselves. Do you see that? And then he goes on and on and on. Every other part of the Bible talk about how that you guys will also be able to do these works to provide evidence for people to believe. If not for anything, believe on the... Do you understand that? That is the reason why these guys could not recant their testimonies. Because they saw things and there was no other way to interpret it. That this man is something else. So through torture and turmoil, the brother that did not believe that the father was the, the brother was God would now suddenly change his mind and someone that was not physically there would receive a vision and then believe and would die for it. This is the reason why. Because they actually believed what they saw. So the Christian faith is not an irrational and illogical thing. It's based on the evidence that God himself supplies. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? It is based on the evidence that God supplies. Chapter 10, write it down. John chapter 10, verse 37 to 38. John chapter 17, verse 20 to 23. And then let's read Hebrews chapter 2. Let's read chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. God confirmed it with signs and wonders. So, there's a general revelation from what we see. God gives us via signs and wonders and by looking at the world around us. These things make us realize that there's a God bigger than us. That there's a God out there. Praise God. Even on an individual level, you know what? Let me talk about this more next Sunday. Let me just lay this foundation. I'll talk about it more next Sunday. How these three levels of evidence applies to our individual work with God. So it will teach you how to be led by the Spirit. Do you understand? 
how these three levels act. Whenever you want to make personal decisions, right now, individual decisions, you can see in the Bible that says that, see, um, it is, you know, God wants all of us to work and meet the needs of other people. Hmm? But that does not tell you whether you should choose to be a doctor or a lawyer or a pharmacist or whatever. You won't see that in the Bible. How do you know, in terms of those details, what the will of God is for you? These three levels of evidence actually also work to, for, God to, for God in God's leading in your life. Church, are we together? So we'll talk about that more next Sunday. Then, the second level of, of, of um, evidence that God gives us is God's inspired word. It is called, I call it specific revelation. It is more specific. It is specific revelation. So now, the first revelation gives us a general idea that there is a God. Then, this one gives us specific revelation about the, his attributes, gives us more details about his behavior, his capabilities, his values, his integrity, and things about his nature and his will. It is from this specific revelation that we know what his eternal plan for humanity is. You understand that? It is from this specific revelation that we know that he loves us, that he's not just a God in the sky that is just flexing his power and all that. It is from this specific revelation that we know all those details about him. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Look how verse 14 says, How then can they call on the one who they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not what heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching on them? And how can someone preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news? Do you see that? So people believe because they have been preached to, because the good news has been brought to them. And that good news is from God's word. Do you understand that? God's word is evidence. God puts together some ideas and puts together some thoughts that when you contemplate them and you think about them and you observe them and you know you match them with the experience of your life, you see that, okay, this is evidence of what God wants to do. This is evidence of God's nature and this is evidence of what his will is. Church out together. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, which I'm very sure everybody knows. <clears throat> All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for, for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So when you are looking for evidence for how to do the good work, that's why I say for every good work, there's some deliberate, you know, there's some you know, detailed level of good work that you do. The scripture is actually valuable for all those things. Church out together. So the scriptures can, you know, it now says it is God breathed. So this it is from God. All scripture, all scripture is God breathed. All scripture is God breathed for teaching, rebuking, correcting. Training in righteousness. Hallelujah. Praise God. Second Peter. Chapter 1. If you jump to verse 20, look at what it says. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its own origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, I'm going to you guys before. Have I taught this here? Or is it in the battle? Have I taught this here about inspiration of scripture? I think I have. All the first messages, right? Peter is telling us here that prophecy of scripture, whenever men 
we, whenever we see men called prophets in the scripture, those men, were, when they were talking, it was the Holy Spirit that was moving them to talk. So the law of Moses and the prophets, that's why he called it the law and the prophets. The Ketuvim, as the, you know, the Jews will call it. The Torah and the prophets. The Torah and the prophet, then the Psalms and Proverbs, right? That's the Ketuvim. These books were, men were opening their mouths and they were speaking as God was carrying them to speak. So those men were speaking despite themselves. That's why there were times that they were speaking and they did not even understand what they were saying. Touch out together. And those things that we see, you line it up despite the, diff the different times and the different dispensations and different ages when these men said these things and recorded this thing and you look at everything and you can now draw a common line through all of them. And you can see what God is doing through time. Church, I was together. So it is God moving these men. And so these things are profitable for us to know God and for us to know his will in our lives. You understand that? And so that's why in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus himself now says, oh my God, I have to end now. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus now says, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, heaven and earth disappeared, but not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, is disappeared from the law until everything is accomplished. So the law and the word prophets. The law and the word prophets. They are what God breathed. That does not mean to say that the books in the Old Testament that are the law and the prophets are not um, profitable, so to speak. No, those historical books, for example, First Kings, Second Kings, those are scribes writing stuff. You understand? Chronicles, all those things. Those are scribes writing stuff that can help you have some you know, historical understanding of the context of the Jews at that time, and that's fine. But we're talking about the prophecy, the scripture that is inspired, that God spoke himself, is the law and the words prophet. So no matter how much you don't like Moses, no matter how much you don't like Moses, you have to accept that when Moses was writing those things, it was the Holy Spirit that was moving him despite himself to write those things. When Isaiah is talking, no matter how much you don't like him, or you don't like Jeremiah, or Ezekiel, you know, comes off as some kind of schizophrenic guy, <laughs> you have to accept. Do you understand that? Church out together. Then finally, the third level of revelation is the witness of the Spirit. Now, this one is a non-transferable form of evidence. It's non-transferable. This one is an individual one. This one, you cannot share it. You cannot transfer. That's why we actually implore you that you should work with God and come, come, come here, hither, for you to get this. There is a level called the witness of the Spirit that is a non-transferable. You cannot explain it to someone else. Shebi, you can take the Bible and say, this is actually what God says, and we'll argue about our interpretation of the evidence. Do you understand that? What does this scripture say? What does it mean? We'll argue about it. We can look at the signs and wonders, and we can look at nature, and we can argue about what it tells us about God's invisible qualities and eternal nature. Do you understand? But there's this one you cannot argue. It's on an individual level. It is in something in your consciousness that God puts there. It is only between you and God, and you cannot interpret. There's a level of knowledge that you will just know that you cannot share. Church out together. You know, in neuroscience, they'll call it something like qualia. You cannot explain it to somebody else. You cannot describe it. Describe color blue to another person. Describe it. Describe blue to another person. You can't. You can't. You just say it's a color 
that is not like yellow. What is yellow? Okay, yellow is like something that is like the sun. <laughs> Do you understand? Yellow is like something that is the sun. What is like the sun? What is it? Describe it to a blind person that has never seen. Describe when someone touches you. Describe it to another person. It is, it is like a soft, but it is not too hard. <laughs> what is soft, what is hard? <laughs> that is the level where the Holy Spirit will enter into a man's consciousness and make you, you just realize that this thing I'm doing is not good. How do you do? It's not good. This thing I'm doing is not good. How do you know it's not good? I don't, I don't know how I know, but this thing is not good. I'm a child of God. How do you know? I'm a child of God. How do you know? I just know that God loves me. I just know inside me that God loves me. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Hallelujah. So that is what happens. You get to a level where you, you just know I'm a child of God. Yes, you can look into nature and can be arguing and say, ah, look at, hey, God, there's no God like this God. Ah, see how big he is. See the way he created lion, he created deer. Look at, come on now. See, as he created the lilies. Look at, oh, no, no, no. This thing, is not, this thing is not normal. This is not normal. God must have created it. Can you say scripture? Ah, there's nobody like this God. Look, mm. Then there is a level where you just know that I'm a child of God. There is some time that you're in some pain and suffering. And all those general and specific revelations will just fade away. At that time, you cannot remember and be careful for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your prayer be and God, you cannot remember any scripture. You are broken and you are in prayer and you are groaning. And at that time, the only comfort you have will be from the Holy Spirit telling you, my child, I'm with you. We date together in this thing. Just try to get what I'm saying to you. John chapter 16. John chapter 16. I have to end now. John chapter 16. Verse 7 says, But truly I tell you, it is for good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, whether you, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands what? Condemned. If you read another verse, is that proving? He says, that proving, that word proving. He says, he will convict the world. Hallelujah. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. The spirit who calls out what? Abba, Father. So your, your heart will just know. Your heart will just know. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 puts it in, in another interesting way. He says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured in our hearts through the Holy Ghost, who has been given to you. So we are never ashamed of the hope that we have. 
the hope that we have. You know, there are some levels where you just find yourself being hopeful, despite all the things that are wrong around you. You just find out that you are not giving up. Because something on your inside is maintaining it. You can't share it with someone. Why are you like this? Why do you believe, despite all the things that are happening to you? How can you be in prison and be in bonds and still be singing and praising God? Church, all together. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So, the believer's faith, the Christian's faith, is not some irrational delusion. Forget all those things. There are some people that have actually spoken of their faith in a delusional way. You just come and say, hey, I believe something will happen to me. And then they will just, you know, and then something useless will come out of their lives and they will now say, yeah, that is how Christian faith is. It's true. There are some people that have done some silly things like that. But when we follow God's word and God's purposes, what you find is that what a Christian believes in and the way a Christian lives their life is rational and is consistent based on the evidence that God provides. Church, all together. Do you understand that? So God provides the evidence. You believe it. You become aware of what God is capable for and then you live your life in consistency with it. And that's how you please God in your life. And then you begin to see things that surpass your expectation. Because God, your creator, knows for you, knows what is good for you beyond what you can ever know for yourself. You think that you have seen some good things in your life. You've not seen anything well yet. God is about to surpass your expectation if you live with him. If you as a just continue to live by what? Faith. Church out together. We'll continue next one. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.